morning, MRCC. Yes, His presence is here. He's worthy of our praise. Can we unite in worship today with a surrendered heart? It's we come before you now, Lord. It's come, are you weary? Come, are you thirsty? Come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water. Come and thirst no more.
Will you forgive me for my drifting, for my doubting? Will you forgive me? Can we seek him with a repentant heart this morning? Because, Lord, I confess, I'm walking around these walls. I thought by now they'd fall. But you have never failed me yet. That's because that's just how good you are. Waiting for change to Knowing the battles won For you have never failed me yet He's always moving, this is true And his promise stands Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Your
Christ with his suffering. You see, no human has ever been treated so unjustly because no human has ever been this worthy of praise. No other human has ever lived with no sin. No other human has ever been God himself. And yet, even in our most evil, God worked it for good. You see, his word says he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. What man meant for evil, a crucifixion on a cross, God worked for good. Because three days later, a stone was rolled away. And because of this, we are welcome into his presence, into his kingdom, into his family. And a day is coming when we'll be welcomed home into the open arms of the Father for eternity. Yes, hallelujah. Isn't he worthy? Church, would you pray with me this morning? Lord, like we'll do this Good Friday, your church says hallelujah for the cross. With your blood, you bought our freedom, and we are slaves to sin no longer. Our shame was met with your mercy, and now you call us your own. And we thank you for calling us home. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, we'll welcome 
here, second service here at MRCC. You know, we are family here. Put your turn of those around you. Make them feel like they're home this morning. Welcome to Second Service here at MRCC. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online as well this morning. We're thrilled that you're with us. And, and thank you for taking the time to greet one another, to fellowship with one another. You know, another way of calling God Father is when we call each other brother and sister. Amen. So thank you for taking the time to do that. Thank you for putting on fake plastic smiles and pretending you remember. No, but there's something in that that's actually good. So it's great to be with you this morning. We're going to open God's Word in a couple of minutes and continue our journey together through Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. But first, just a, just a, a couple of announcements to share with you. One is, you know, church, I just want to thank us again um, for the incredibly generous and faithful way in which we continue to give as a church. It allows us to do so many things. And, you know, one of the things we're just excited about is this summer that kids wing is going to start going up out here right next door to us. It's going to be done sometime around Thanksgiving. And we already know the whole thing will be debt free, which is just glorious. It's just amazing. So many people have given for so long years uh, to make that happen. And so that's an incredible blessing. I want to invite you, though, if you'd like to make a special gift towards that children's wing, there's a little card in the seat back in front of you. You can take a moment, look it over make your decision, pray about it. You can scan the QR code, call the church office, whatever works for you. But uh, that opportunity remains. Uh, this summer, we'll have a happy mess out here. You think it was hard getting in the parking lot this morning? Wait for this summer. But, but by the end of it, we'll have an in, two entrances, two exits. It'll be glorious. But anyway, just want to celebrate that. I also want to share with you that it is our tradition here at MRCC to set aside one Sunday every year in which we invite uh, you to pray about becoming involved with child sponsorship. You probably saw the tables when you came into the foyer, one for Compassion International, uh, one of many Christian child sponsorship agencies, one for Mercy Reigns, uh, a local uh, child sponsorship agency that right out of our church, actually, Larry and Charla Travis. And, and the beauty of child sponsorship is that it connects you one-to-one -to, 
one with a child in our world who is, who is at most at need, most at risk. You know, the mission of Compassion, Ron and I have been involved with them for almost 40 years now. We, we always have three kids that we're sponsoring. When one graduates from the program, we adopt another one. And so much joy in that, letters written back and forth. Rhonda actually got to go meet in Uganda over the winter, one of the children that we sponsored all the way through graduation and got to sit with him and talk with him. Now they chat every day. It is a beautiful thing. And uh, I would invite you to maybe stop by the table if you're not involved, check it out. The names and faces that you see out on those tables are all children uh, already uh, for sponsorship, ready for a relationship with you. And what a beautiful thing it is to know that you have made the difference uh, in a child's life over time. So uh, there's an invitation to, to check it out when we dismiss today. Uh, also, um, tomorrow night, fellas, is our Band of Brothers Men's Dinner. Uh, once a month that happens. It happens tomorrow night, Monday night. You're invited. Bring a friend. Uh, no cost, as always. We have a great time together. Uh, that's going to be happening. And then a Good Friday service was coming up on Easter weekend. We have a, a Good Friday night of worship, a single worship night service. It's always rich and full, and that's going to be happening on Good Friday of Easter weekend, so be aware of that. Also, uh, something to, to circle on your calendar coming up on May 13th and 14th will be our Love and Respect Marriage Conference. It's going to happen here at the church on Friday night and half the day Saturday. And, and this is an opportunity for you to make a, a significant, a profound, maybe even a life-changing investment in your marriage. Uh, Ty and Diane Rogel have been leading our Love and Respect Marriage Conferences for several years now, and, and, and I've been exposed over the years to a lot of, uh, of curriculum intended to bless marriages, and, and, and I want to tell you, this is the best one. This is the best one that I have encountered. And So, fellas, I want to challenge you, if you're a husband, to, to you take the lead and say to your wife, honey, I want to set that Friday night, that Saturday morning aside to invest in our marriage. You, you'll be glad you did. There's sign-up sheet in the foyer, call the church office, scan the code, you know the drill. But that's coming up. As always, no cost. Uh, anybody's welcome, so you can invite your neighbors, uh, friends from work, whoever wants to come. Also, uh, coming up that next weekend, Thursday through Saturday of May, it's a little ways out, but that'll be our men's conference. Really looking forward to that. Got a lot of guys involved in that. Very special speaker coming over from Montana. His name's Justin Gibbons. He'll be with us here on Sunday morning in a couple weeks. You'll get to meet him. But the men's conference will be that next weekend here and in the area, Thursday through Saturday, um, May 19th to 21st. Uh, so all, all good stuff, all stuff that's coming up and stuff to be aware of. <sighs> I didn't forget anything. Grab your Bible and open it to Romans chapter 8 this morning. And we're going to continue our journey together through Romans. Remember what we said at the outset is that it's God's plan in your life and mine to grow us to the point where we take God's word on its own terms, in its own context. In other words, instead of saying, oh, here's my life, now i got to go check something in the scripture and try to find something that applies, there's nothing wrong with that. That's good and normal when we're young in our faith. But as we mature in our faith, we go to God's word and say, Lord, talk to me before I even know what I need. You know, build my heart, my mind before I even know what is significant and important to me. What a beautiful thing is when your kids become adults and they start coming to you ahead of time instead of after the fact. And uh, that's kind of the idea. So we've been walking through Romans this summer. We're in chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. And let me begin by, by asking you this. How did you, how did you get your name? 
No, I know, your parents gave it to you. But I mean, did they like name you after somebody or uh, did they name you, uh, you know, for some specific reason? Did they choose your name because it was grandpa's name or grandma's name or because it was somebody significant in their lives? Uh, there's a young man in his 20s now whose first name is Dalton and it was because uh, some folks in the church that we served named him after me, which you, you want to be embarrassed for life, get somebody named after you. <laughs> That was me. I've apologized to him many times for being named Dalton. But anyway, yeah, how, 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 did you, how did you get your name? Like, for example, my mom, when she was pregnant with me, her and her best friend were pregnant at the same time. So they, they made a girls pact that uh, once they found out it was going to be boys, they, they named us both Greg. <laughs> so that's how I got my name. And uh, so growing up, I was always Greg Todd, and he was always Greg Scott. And uh, you know, that's kind of, and I, I always, you know, in 1964, when I was born, Greg was the most common name given to boys in the country at that time. So growing up, I always wanted any name that stood out, not Greg. There was always three Gregs in every class, two Gregs on every team. How did you get your name? How did your parents choose your name? I came across a website a few years ago that talks about baby names, and it had a part in it where it listed really bad choices for kids' names. And uh, these are actual names that parents name their kids. I thought I'd share a few with them. For example, somebody named their child Justin when their last name was Case. So just in case he went through life, you know, being that. Somebody had a, a daughter, their last name was King, so they named her Joe. And so she goes through life as Joe King, you know, you get the idea. How about this one, uh, Carrie Oakey. <laughs> she spent her life. I mean, mom and dad are still laughing. I'm not sure she is, but... Uh, or how about this guy, Tim Burr? <laughs> Yo, Tim Burr, you know. Uh, Slovakian young man was named Pretty. His last name's Manic, so he's Pretty Manic. <laughs> you know, kind of strange. Bill Board, how about that one? I'd like to be responsible for that. How about this one? Some parent, some mom named her daughter Anna when her last name was Sasson. Anna Sasson. <laughs> you know, Wow. Uh, or one more uh, guy was named Stan when his last name was Still. So throughout life, he was Stan Still. And uh, he, he shared a funny name, story. He retired from the Air Force, and he said, when I was young and in the service, my commanding officer used to shout at me, get a move on, Stan Still, and then break down laughing. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, how about a, a, a banker? Who, whose name was Rob. So Rob Me was actually his name. And then he married a woman named Sue who happened to be attorney, so she became Sue Me. So they were Rob Me and Sue Me, which is kind of funny. You know, our names, they can have a real effect on us. Like I said, I always wanted to be named something more unique than Greg because there were so many Gregs. Our names can affect us. How else do you explain why a young man named Les Plaque grew up to be a dentist? <laughs> or another man named Seymour Doctors grew up to be a nurse, you know? Uh, you wonder if there was a connection there. I'm sharing this with us because God wants to talk to us this morning about the power of the intimacy and significance of names. Think about how you feel, what changes inside of you when a, a person next to you goes from being just a face to becoming a name. You learn their name. 
maybe it's somebody new at work or at school or in your neighborhood or whatever, and, and you learn their name. And now suddenly going forward, when you see them, when you talk to them, they're not just, hey, you. They become a name. And when we speak their name, something inside of us changes. See, that's the power of names. I'm always trying hard to learn names. I love taking people to lunch from church because I can spend an hour with them and the names sort of get stuck in my heart. Pastor Dave is amazing with names. Sometimes I go in his office and I go, you know that one person is, is this tall, has this color? Oh yeah, it's so-and-so. And I'm like, wow, you're good at that. Names create intimacy. And, and here's where I'm going with this. Here's where God's going to go with this. Let me ask you this. What name do you use for God? Is it a generic, hey God? Or is it more intimate? Is it more personal? Jesus invites us to know God as, as Father. In fact, as we're going to see this morning, he invites us to know him as dad, to call him dad, Abba, Father, it says in Romans 8, using the, the toddler name roughly translated in English, Papa, Daddy, my Daddy. Jesus invites us to let God become not just a generic higher power in our mouths, in our hearts, but to have a name. I can always tell whether a person has grown much in their Christian faith by the way they say the name Jesus. Sometimes folks struggle to say the name. And I go, okay, you're young in your faith. I get it. Kind of like a small child. You haven't yet learned to be comfortable with that name. But then you meet someone who, who knows the Lord deeply and well, who has had time to walk with him, and they talk about my Jesus, my Savior. What's the name that you use for God? Now, I, I bring that up because the Apostle Paul here in Romans 8 is going to talk about the power of that reality. He's going to say that the name you use for God makes all the difference when it comes to your power over sin in your life. When it comes to your and my struggle to be holy, the name that we use for God makes a profound difference. So I invited you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Let's listen to the Apostle Paul set this up. He's going to crescendo in about verse 15. We're going to go that far this morning. But let's start in verse 1 so we get the context. The Apostle says this, Romans 8 chapter 1, uh, verse 1. Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The therefore relates to what we talked about last time in Romans 7. I do what I don't want to do. What I want to do, I don't do. Who will save me? Jesus has done it. And then Paul says, therefore, since that's true, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, we talked about how we have moved in Christ from a law where we think about what God commands to a Lord where we seek to please him even before he commands. Paul says because of that switch, because that change has happened in the heart of a Christ follower, because of that, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I wonder if you need to hear that this morning. You say, well, I've got some condemnation for myself. Yeah, well, A, join the club. B, you don't get the last word about you. You don't. He does. 
And in his estimation, in God's estimation, if you're a believer in Jesus, there is no condemnation. Doesn't mean there's no struggle. Doesn't mean you don't sometimes have hard times, but there's no condemnation. You've been set free from that in Christ Jesus. And, and that's not just a static administrative thing, which is why the, the sentence doesn't end there. Look, look what Paul says. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life, circle that phrase, the law of the spirit of life set me free, set you free from the law of sin and death. Now that, that's a mouthful. So, so let me take just a moment to kind of break this down so you grasp what the apostle is referring to. First, as we pointed out, he said there's no condemnation. Because we have a Lord instead of a law, we are now in a learning relationship where the fear of failure is replaced by a continual failing forward. Let me say that again. Because we have exchanged a law for a Lord... Now, our fear of failing, of falling short, is replaced by an understanding that we are failing forward towards holiness. Let me paint a word picture for you. I remember when, when our, our teenage son, Isaiah, was learning to drive. Dad, Dad did most of the teaching of his learning driving. I remember the first few times we got in the car to go learn how to drive, he was so uptight. He was so nervous, so afraid. He thought if he just did one thing wrong, dad was going to, you know, take the wheel away from him or, or cut off the lesson. And of course, you know, that was never my heart. I was determined that he would learn to drive well or as well as a 16-year-old male of the species can drive, you know. But, but, but I wasn't just looking for any little failure to disqualify him, no. Matter of fact, I expected him to struggle. I expected him to have a hard time with some things. But I was committed to him and to him learning. That's what Paul says God is with us in Christ. We do not face the prospect of condemnation. Instead, we are imbued with the spirit, uh, the law of the spirit of life. After a while in our driving lessons, Isaiah figured out that I wasn't there just to pick out his faults that I was there to help him learn. And so after a while, you know, he would make a mistake. Oh, dad, yeah, I made a mistake there, didn't I? Yeah, you made a mistake. All right, let's not do it again. <laughs> you know, somebody might die next time. Somebody, you know, let's, let's, let's. His spirit, his heart changed when he understood that there was no condemnation. That's what God wants us to feel in Christ. Now, the goal never changes. The goal is the same as when it was just a law. The goal is to learn to drive well. The goal is holiness for you. And for me, that's God's agenda. He's not going to be okay with you scoring a 6 out of 10 on the goodness scale. Not in the long run. But on the journey there, there's no condemnation because we understand that we now have a Lord, not merely a law. We are growing forward. And that's what Paul means when he says the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. And, and then he explains it a little bit. Look at the next couple of verses. He says, for what the law, the command by itself, what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. In other words, the command was a good thing, but inside of me is an impediment to obeying it, a, a stubbornness, a rebellion, a resistance, a selfishness. What the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, catch this, friends, God did. God 
did. Don't hurry past that. You know, sometimes you look in the mirror and you say to yourself, I just can't get there. I try and I try and I still keep falling short. And then you say to yourself, I don't think I can do this. In that precise moment, the Bible says, God does for you what you can't do for yourself. What the law was power, what your best intentions were powerless to do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And by doing so, he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be met in us who don't live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Let me, let me explain this. He condemned sin and sinful man. Remember back in Romans chapter 3, we learned that the cross is a demonstration of both God's desire to be just and the one who justifies. So the cross is there that we might not assume that because we haven't yet experienced the full consequences of our actions, that God doesn't care. No, 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 no. The cross is a demonstration that the consequences of sin is death. God wants us to understand that. He wants us to realize that. But once we have realized that and received his grace, then the cross has done its work. And at that point, our hearts are changed as we receive his grace. And then the righteous requirements of the law are met in us who don't live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Now, he's going to unpack what that means in a moment. But in other words, we have been changed from people who, who think of themselves as required to obey to people who want to obey, who choose to obey, who seek ways to obey because of what God has done for us, because of our thanksgiving, our love for our Savior. You know, every day of my life, my wife does things for me. Sometimes I am overwhelmed when I think of how many things she does. Sometimes she's underwhelmed when she thinks of how many things I do for her. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the reality. You know, it's crazy. She forgives me. She serves me. She puts up with my knuckleheadedness. She endures my worst moments. And when I stop to think about that, I had one of those moments yesterday morning, when that rushes in on me, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm amazed. And then all I can think of is, what can I do for her? You know, how, how can I appreciate her? How can, I, how can I bless her? How can I honor her, serve her? How can I make her smile? How can I please her? When, when, when I'm thinking about the weekend, she works full-time like I do, and I'm off on Friday, she's not yet, and she's coming home, and I'm thinking, what can I do tonight that, that she would be blessed when she walks through the door? Now, that doesn't happen because she told me to do that. That happens because I'm responding to what she's done for me. That's the idea here in Romans between us and God. We realize what he's done, and now we are just looking for ways to obey him. That's the law of the spirit of life. To put it another way, Christ followers live with a constant awareness of God, an awareness that shapes our thinking and our wanting and our feeling. It is a supernatural thing at its root, but it issues in this natural experience of, God, how can I please you? How can I please you? And because of that, because we feel that, because that's in us, there is no condemnation. The law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. 
And when I know that I've pleased her, I'm ecstatic, you know. She comes home and everything's taken care of and, and maybe I made dinner and it's nothing to get excited about, but she says, thanks for making dinner tonight so that I didn't have to make it when I got home. There's part of me that goes, ooh. I, I feel something real and profound and intense. Friends, that is the joy of the Christian life. We get to feel that we have pleased God. And make no mistake, way down deep, your soul craves that awareness. As you grow up in God, you will discover that there's no greater joy than knowing that you've pleased God. He, and, and because you have that desire in you, you may drive poorly, but there's no condemnation because that's in you. That's what Paul's talking about here. When Rhonda feels blessed, I'm ecstatic. And, and Paul says, those who don't know Christ, they don't get to feel that. Look at what he says in verses 6 to 8 of Romans chapter 8. He says, the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. And, and he, he illustrates the contrast. He says, the sinful mind is hostile to God, doesn't submit to him, and it can't submit to him. Those controlled by the sinful nature can't please God. <laughs> they just can't know that joy. But we, by contrast, verse 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. You know, do I always do exactly what Rhonda would prefer that I do? No, not always. Even when I try hard. I clean the bathroom for her. It's never clean enough. That's just part of my world, all right? She's going to come in and say, well, nice try, you know. But at the same time, there is in her an appreciation that I'm trying, that I'm failing forward. And because of that, there's no condemnation for me in her heart. That's what God is saying about our relationship with him, about your relationship with him. And the more we set our minds on what pleases him, the more we reach for that and, and endeavor to achieve that, the more we do that, the more we experience the freedom that we are meant to experience. I remember a few years ago, Ron and I went up to Vancouver Island for an anniversary week for a getaway. And, and we kind of like to do the adventure thing a lot of times when we have time off together. And, and so we planned this kayaking trip up in Vancouver Island and signed up with a guide and all that stuff. And we were going to spend a few days kayaking around the inlets on Vancouver Island. We were excited about it. We got up there ready to go, go down to the lakeside, meet the guide. A couple other people were in our group and get our kayaks all oriented and then we headed out into the inlet and that's when I discovered something that was very unwelcome you see that particular year Vancouver Island was experiencing a massive infestation of jellyfish there were so many jellyfish in the water that you couldn't paddle without hitting them it was like a carpet of jellyfish across the inlet now let me tell you something about me you can wrap snakes around my head. You can feed me spiders. I won't blink. None of it bothers me. But jellyfish freak me out, all right? <laughs> I am not good with jellyfish. Right now, I'm getting the heebie-jeebies just thinking about it. Remember when all the jellyfish got sucked into the Tokyo nuclear reactor? I was like, I knew it. They're demonic. They're coming for us, you know. I hate jellyfish. When Will Smith died in that movie a few years ago, I'm like running out of the theater. Wrong. Get that out of my head. I, I, and now they're wall to wall. 
I like everywhere. I'm, and you know how easily a kayak can tip over? And then I'm in the midst of the jellyfish. And, 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 and so as we head out in this thing, I am completely preoccupied. I can't think of anything but jellyfish. How much I hate them. And, and, and as we're going, this just come for like an hour. I'm like, are we ever going to be to the end? No. And I'm just, and then in the middle of it all, God said something to me I'll never forget. He said, hey, Greg, remember, this is about Rhonda. This is about your anniversary. And he said, listen, if you will just turn your attention to her, this stuff will fade away. I'll get you through this. You'll overcome this. I remember right in that moment saying, okay, God, yeah, that's what I want. I want to, I want to please Rhonda on this anniversary. I want her to have a blast. I prayed that little prayer. And as soon as I opened my eyes and looked up, I spotted maybe 40, no, less than that, maybe 20 yards away on the shore, a family of otters who had come out of their little den. And there was like three pups and the mom and the dad, and they're playing and they're swimming and flopping and carrying on. And there is nothing that would thrill Rhonda more than animals like that, you know, especially in the wild. And so we were kind of at the back of the little group, and I went over, hey, Rhonda, come here. And we paddled off to the side, and we sat there for like 15 minutes and just watched this otter family. And I watched her glow. <laughs> and God said, you know what, Greg, you're not going to have a problem with jellyfish as long as you remember that this is about her. And for the rest of that trip, I was able to put it out of my mind. See, that's the power of where we set our minds. And, and Paul says that the, the Christ follower has set her mind, his mind, on pleasing God. And because of that, there's no condemnation. We may not fly as high as we want yet. But when God sees that in our hearts, that is the way forward. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Whatever captures your mind controls you. And Christ followers have been captured with a desire to please God now. He goes on to say that that desire grows acute when we begin to relate to God by his name. You know, my wife isn't just Rhonda to me. Probably like in your family, she's got a whole bunch of nicknames. <laughs> Rhonda grew up with some nicknames. She's Rhonda Lou. If you call her Rhonda Lou, she'll smile because she's been called that since she was a little girl. There's a story behind it. I'm not going to get into it. We also have a lot of nicknames in our family. I call her my Brutus woman because when she was young, she'd carry me on her back and people would be amazed that she was strong enough to do that. Most of your wives don't want to be called Brutus woman, so stay away from that. <laughs> but in our family, we would take walks a lot when we were growing up and we'd have Indian names for each other. We gave each other Indian names. And so, for example, Native American names, Rhonda and I named Rhonda tag sticks up because for some reason her tag was always sticking up whenever she got dressed. So she became tag sticks up, you know. And, and then Isaiah, when he was little, I don't know why, he would always, when we went for walks, keep walking in front of us, like white weaving. And we'd trip over him all the time. And so finally we named him Walks in Front of, you know. And then they gave me a Native American name, which I'm not proud of. Um, they named me Smells Very Bad in the Car, which is... Uh, <laughs> Try to put that out of your mind. But, but when, we, when we use those names for each other, when I call her Rondelou, when I call her Tag Sticks Up, there's an intimacy that goes with that. I'm not just making sounds. I'm owning her. She's owning that I own her. We connect in a profound way through those nicknames. 
And when we have that kind of relationship with God, where he has a name to us, his power becomes real to us. That's what the apostle is talking about beginning in verse 9 of chapter 8. He says, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. Anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. Quick aside, the if there in the Greek construct is not a questioning. He's not saying if you do or if you don't. It's a quid pro quo. It's a cause and effect. So he's saying the idea is if anybody has the spirit of God, and the, the implication is you do because you're a believer. As soon as anybody believes in Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters them. And so the if is cause and effect. It's not questioning. He's not saying better check to see if you do. He's saying no, because you do, since you do. Same thing when the devil tempted Jesus, if you are the son of God, same construct. If uh, you have the Holy Spirit in you, then, then you are alive to God. If Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he will raise from the, who raised him from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. The meaning is this. You have become awake and aware to God as yours and you as his. That's the idea. The spirit dwells in you. This is what happens when we believe in Jesus. We become aware of God as ours and us as his. Again, I kind of think of when Ron and I got married and we went to the reception and I got to walk around and for the first time say, this is my wife. (laughs) She got to say, this is my husband. Far less of a thrill for her than it was for me, but you get the idea. There's, okay, so then he says this. Listen to what he says. We're, we're going to kind of turn into the home stretch here. Verses 12 to 15, Paul says this. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. Now, by the way, love does not consist in the absence of obligations. It consists in the enjoyment of obligations. Every Friday morning, I have a decades-long tradition that I get up extra early so I can go to Starbucks and get Rhonda coffee for the last day of the week, bring it back so that she can have it in the car when she drives to work. That's my day off. You would think that at all costs, I don't want to get up early on that morning. But no, there's a joy in it. There's a joy in it. I go get it for her, bring it back. Yes. She goes, yes. Oh, thank you. And I'm like, woo. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Love consists in the enjoyment of obligations. Paul says we have an obligation. You and I. But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. The consequences of that lifestyle will destroy you. At first, in the now, and ultimately in the forever. But if by the Spirit, circle that phrase because it's the key phrase, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live both now and forever. Because those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God, are children of God. They belong to him. He belongs to them. You did not receive a spirit, Paul says to us. God says that you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear of failing, like when I was teaching my son to drive. But you received, catch this phrase, the spirit of sonship. Some translations render it the spirit of adoption. It's the same idea. The spirit of sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. By him, we share a name 
with God. We call him by his name. This, this passage is so intimate because Abba is the name that small children would refer to their father by. Papa, Daddy, Dad. By him, we cry out to God by the name of Dad. I asked you at the beginning, we're almost done this morning, I asked you, what's your name for God? Now I ask you again. Is it Dad? Is it Papa? Is it my Dad? Or is it something generic and formal and distant? The Holy Spirit wants you to learn to call God my dad, not only in your heart, but with your tongue. When Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, he said, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven. And we hear that, and, and because of the cultural difference, you know, we, we hear Father, and, and that's, that's kind of less intimate. The Jews in the day that Jesus taught that form of prayer were radically blown away by the idea of calling God Father. They kept him at such a distance they wouldn't even speak his name. And Jesus said, no, here's what he wants you to do. He wants you to call him Dad. We miss that in our, in our modern context. That's why I encourage people to speak of God, if you're a believer, to speak of God as Dad. That's who he is. That's who he wants you to refer to him as. If you met your father for lunch this afternoon and you called him father the whole time, he would eventually ask, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Why won't you call me dad? Why won't you add intimacy to your respect? Your dad wants you to add intimacy to your respect for him. And that's the idea here. When we do that, we take a huge step forward in putting to death the misdeeds of the body. Because it sets our mind on the truth of who he is, the truth of who we are in him, which pulls us into holiness. You are sons of God, and so you are meant to cry, Abba, Father. In other words, God has a name for you to use. This is what living by the Spirit means practically. You know, sometimes we hear that phrase, live by the Spirit. And we think, okay, I've got to be really tuned in so that when I get a download from the great internet in the sky, I'll be ready for it. Mm. And, and we go around waiting to get zapped. Look, sometimes God does that, but by far that's the exception. Just like you raising your kids, what you endeavor to do is teach them to make good choices and then delight in their choices. God's doing the same thing. And, and that process happens when you begin to call him dad. I belong to you. I'm your daughter. I'm your son. It means I'm being fathered by you, parented by you. That means holiness is my goal. That means obedience is my joy and my delight. You can tell if something is wrong at our house, if Rhonda and I are fiercely asking each other, just tell me what you want me to do. You ever say that to your spouse? Look, would you just tell me what you want me to do? That is not an intimate moment, okay? Christians have left that behind. Now, make no mistake, I totally want to know what she wants me to do. I want to live, and so I want to know that. <laughs> I'm, I'm being silly to illustrate, you with me? But the truth of the matter is most of the time, most of the time, I'm just looking for ways to bless and obey. Yeah, I know she likes this this way. Okay, I'm going to do that. I know she likes this this way. Okay, I'm going to do that. 
That's the law of the spirit of life. That's the idea here. It's a desire to please God that doesn't say, what do you want me to do without also saying, I want to do it. God, I'm all about obeying you. This is why Jesus could say, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Matthew chapter 22 could say this. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. God's looking for more than obedience in my life. He's looking for my love. And he says, the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Why? Because once we own those, it gives rise to everything else. It creates in us that desire. This whole discussion comes to a crescendo in verse 16 when Paul says, and this is where we end. He says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If we share in his sufferings, we'll share in his glory. Yeah, the whole idea is that we own that identity. Let me, let me finish this morning by asking you again, what's your name for God? Is he just God? Is he just the man upstairs? Is he just your higher power? Is he just the big guy in the sky? Or is he Papa? Daddy? Is he my dad? Is Jesus just the Lord? Or is he my Lord, my Savior, my friend? You see, once God has those names in us, then the power to put to death the misdeeds of the body flows through us. The law of the spirit of life sets us free from the law of sin and death. Let me finish with a story this morning. You know, the, the truth of the matter is that very often we struggle to believe that we are wanted that much, that we are loved and liked that much by God. But that's, that's the gospel. And when it seems hard to believe, maybe you'll remember this illustration. You may think that you being wanted that much by God is, is just as impossible as the the chances that Pastor Greg would fall in love with a cat. <laughs> you might think in those terms. But let me tell you a story. When our son was a teenager, he did an internship at a veterinarian clinic because he was thinking that maybe someday he might want to be a vet. And it was through the high school. And so he was doing this thing. And since he's my son and I have raised him according to the eternal and absolute truth of God, he doesn't like cats either. <laughs> so... He's at the vet's office, and he comes home one day, and instead of going home, he comes to my office. He says, Dad, you're not going to believe it. He says, I found a cat that I love, and you would love it too. I said, Isaiah, that's just not possible, you know. He said, no, Dad, let me tell you. He said, this guy came to the vet's office today, and he brought in his cat, and the cat was coming for a blood test, and this particular cat was missing one eye, missing part of an ear, part of a foot, and half of his tail. And he was old and fat and his fur stuck out in crazy directions. And best of all, his name was Sarge. He said, Dad, tell me we can hate that cat because I can't. <laughs> I said, you're right. You're right. Absolutely. I'm in on that one. And the clicker was the name Sarge. All right, that cat's welcome in my heart. God says that when we call him dad, my dad, my Abba, my Papa, 
when we call him that, right? Through that experience flows the power to put death, put to death the misdeeds of the body. That's what it means to live by his spirit. So let me close this morning by asking you, what's your name for God? And to invite you, invite you to do a little experiment. I do this with our membership classes every year. The Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We know this as a church. We practice this as a church. I want to challenge you for the next 30 days. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray it out loud. Some point in your day, get alone like Jesus said. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Only when you do it, and you do it out loud, instead of starting our Father, start it this way. My dad. My dad who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Add intimacy to your respect and watch what happens to you. That was the whole reason Jesus taught it that way in the first place. And that's what he wants you to experience. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me this morning? Father God, we ask that you would teach us your name. That you would teach us to use your name. That you would put it in our mouths when we pray, when we talk to one another. That we would learn to call you my dad, my Abba. That we might experience the fullness of your spirit. That we might own your parenting. That we might surrender to your love. That we might discover the holiness you seek for us. God, teach us to use your name. We ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, friends? Yeah. Yeah. Say it out loud so it becomes real. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Stop by a table and check out a child. Mm-hmm.